Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. How's everyone doing? Shalom. Shalom lacha. Oh, man, you beat me to it. Shalom. Do you actually know Hebrew, though, to respond I to that? I know shalom lacha, milchama, shalom. Uh, Neat. I got some. Well, well, I don't know that much. I forgot. Those aren't Hebrew. That's German. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know. Come on. Come on, people. Okay. So, welcome to Thinkling's podcast. (laughs) We're having a lot of fun recording uh, this episode already. A couple of things before we jump into our business. Uh, We've had some people wondering about Thinkling's summer plans. Like, hey, are you guys going to. Do episodes over the summer because I want to listen to you over the summer. And are you going to do it? And we're thinking about summer episodes too. And if you want to find out more about that, you're going to have to tune in next week. Oh, rude! Where we talk about that. So did that did that pique your interest? I'm asking you guys. I'm not asking the listener because I can't. Well, respond. I know what we're doing. You do. So your interest can't. Well, be if peaked. I didn't know what we were doing, that would totally pique my interest. But I also might be a little salty at you. For not telling a little me. salty. Yeah. Would you be as salty as when I just cut off an episode right when a guest was talking? Because there were a lot of people that, that were well, really salty about that. They were. That, I think that's the most hate but you've gotten. We are the salt of the earth. Oh and if salt word. loses its flavor, do you listen to that podcast? Oh no, word. you don't. Horrendous. Charlie, that's like a, a non-exegesis point for you right there. <laughs> that's like an anti-introduction to Bible that's, study point. Oh, my word. That's that's really bad exegesis. Anyway, I think it's time for some books and business. It is time oh. for some books and business. So let's talk hey, about I some think, books. Whoa, whoa. We got to give the segue point to Tim on that one. He did I segue pretty nicely. That was a rushed, along. harsh segue. But if yeah, Tim was going to I didn't make get segue, to say the thing that I normally say. And oh. uh, T- Tim's uh, ready. Yeah, I'll, I'll live. Okay, so Tim, why don't you go first? All right, so I started Robinson Crusoe last week. I finished it, and it was really interesting. I actually really liked it. Uh, it is not as engaging. It's not going to be as big of a page turner as a lot of modern novels. The English is a little bit older, so especially... I was thinking it'd be great for my kids to read, but um, I think it might be a little bit hard for them to read, but uh, still I would strongly recommend it even for some summer reading plans or something uh, for children. What I liked the most about it was the, was the um, summer reading for your children. Uh, what I liked the most about it was the actual Orthodox theology in the book, which was astounding. I read A Christmas Carol by... Oh, goodness, I got... Dickens. Thank you, Dickens. Right. Right. I had Dawkins in my head, and I knew that was wrong. Not Dawkins. That would be a different Christmas carol. Yeah. (laughs) I've already said this on the the Thinklings podcast, but empirically, the best Christmas carol movie is A Muppet Christmas Carol. Well, I I didn't like it. (laughs) It's very much like a social gospel kind of a story. There's no real repentance or gospel presentation. Are you talking about Muppet Christmas Carol? Yes. So in Crusoe, (laughs) with Robinson Crusoe, however, we actually, there's like a a real gospel message. Like he is living in rebellion, literal rebellion against his father. And then he's stranded upon this island. And um, the providence of God is a major theme where the providence of God allowed him to have this Bible and uh, the providence of God. Um, was what brought him there with the things that he had and uh, for his deliverance. And he, um, in a time where he was very, very sick, he uh, 
he played basically the Bible roulette and found some verse that talked about being delivered. And when he was thinking through deliverance, he was thinking about physical deliverance. And he, in his really atheistic mindset, was like, I'm never going to be delivered from this island. It's impossible. But um, uh, through some sickness and some circumstances, he um, basically got saved. Now, I'm just going to read a portion of this. Now I began to construe the words mentioned above, call on me and I will deliver thee in a different sense from what I had ever done before. For then I had no notion of anything being called deliverance, but my being delivered from the captivity I was in. For though I was indeed at large in the place, yet the island was certainly a prison to me, and that in the worst sense in the world. But now I learned to take it in another sense. Now I looked back upon my past life with such horror, and my sins appeared so dreadful that my soul sought nothing of God but deliverance from the load of guilt that bore down all my comfort. As for my solitary life, it was nothing. I did not so much as pray to be delivered from it or think of it. It was all of no consideration in comparison to this. Okay, now listen to this part. And I add this part here to hint to whoever shall read it. Okay, so like this is his journal and he's writing, hey, if you're reading my journal and you found it or whatever, pay attention to this point that whenever they come to a true sense of things, they will find deliverance from a sin much greater blessing than deliverance from affliction. You truly want to have deliverance, okay? True deliverance is deliverance from sin and the sin of the heart, not this physical deliverance from this malady. And of course, his malady was an extremely terrible malady. He's stuck on this deserted island and he has to labor and his uh, future is uh, extremely uncertain. Now, so I really like this book. I would recommend it. But uh, interesting, we, uh, we had a meeting today and I was talking to our literature professor, Dr. Josh Boyd. Love that guy. And I told him how I really liked reading Robinson Crusoe. And he was like, oh really, which one? Or something like that. And I'm like, huh? (laughs) And I'm like, there's multiple Robinson Crusoes? You know, his brother, (laughs) his his father, his uh, cousin twice removed. And he's like, yeah, there's like this abridged version and there's another abridged version. And so then I became wondering, well, what version did I read? Okay. And, um, what am I selling in the bookstore? And so I sought this out and he was kind enough to even email me a journal article talking about the different versions of Robinson Crusoe. And in, uh, some of the versions, they've completely omitted his conversion and they've basically neutered the book of anything theological or anything really that would uh, emphasize spiritual growth. And I was just like blown away. The very best part of the book, uh, they cut it out. And so I found the book that I had in my office and it's not or in my office in the bookstore. I checked the copy that was there and, and sure enough, it's abridged. And sure enough, okay, now I will say that they didn't cut everything out because some of them cut like all of it out, Um, but significant portion of it is cut out. In fact, that very statement that when I read through my copy, which I'm pretty sure is the unabridged, it's like from the 1940s or 50s, that portion uh, where he directly addresses the reader, 
that is completely gone. Okay. And, um, so anyway, I didn't do like a thorough analysis of the copy that I had, but I'm going to try to find a unabridged version for the bookstore to sell. And, uh, we'll see, I might hang on to this cheap trashy paperback that I have at the bookstore for right now. We'll see if we can find a better one for us to sell. If you had to, uh, throw it on the Thinkling's goodness scale. Where would you put it? And, and I want both versions, the bridge and the unabridged. <laughs> Average the numbers. Okay, so the <laughs> abridged version that I was just looking at, they didn't cut a lot out okay. to the point where I'm just like, well, why bother? Okay, so just read the whole thing. Uh, so um, I would just read the full version. And um, and again, I'll try to find one. And I would say put on the Thinkling's goodness scale, I'd be like maybe like a... a uh, I mean, it's fiction, so uh, maybe like a five. Mm-hmm. But remember, it's fiction, so it's not like sure. it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, just if you ever have questions about books, you can uh, call Josh Boyd at uh, Faith Baptist Bible College. I was having a conversation with him today about different translations of the Aeneid. And just the off-the-cuff knowledge that he has about some of those things is pretty impressive. So I'm sure he'll appreciate you telling all of our listeners to contact him. Yes. Yeah. You can call him. His cell phone number is... Oh, my word. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, though, I was talking about romanticism today in Western Civ, and I said it to Dr. Boyd, and he's like, oh, did you? And he like, did you talk about the beautiful and the whatever? And I was like, man, you're so smart. (laughs) (laughs) And he is... Kind of the MVP of the Dornball League. So anyway. Oh, yeah, dude, that guy. Intramural basketball. Dr. Boyd knows what he's doing. Anyway, okay, books and business. Uh, I I did bring a book that I'm reading that is more, again, like preaching Old Testament, and it's called Beginning at Moses, A Guide to Finding Christ in the Old Testament. I've only gotten about a third of the way in and definitely made some statements that has made me uh, pause and think about and uh, I won't give an assessment on that book yet, but overall, I think so far, I'm probably finding more discontinuity than continuity in this one, which is a great Old Testament pun, if anyone's listening. That but, was really good. Yeah. So I will say that on the side, along with all of this kind of heavy hermeneutical, homiletical reading, I am about through the Narnia series again. And uh, I, I do, I think... It, you can't really compare any of the books to Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe because that's mm. kind of that kind of has mm. to be number one. But I think it's a race for number two, and I really think A Horse and His Boy is probably my second favorite. It's so good. It's really good. It's really good. But but off air, we were having a conversation. We couldn't even sort out I which mean, one. My favorite character, obviously, other than Aslan, is probably Puddleglum from oh, the Silver Puddleglum's Chair. good. But when uh, when Jardis gets into uh, Jadis, not Jardis. There we go, Jadis. <laughs> I got a guy snoring over here. But when Jadis gets into Earth in uh, the Magician's Nephew, that's mm. there's some really funny scenes there. Um, I really like Eustace, just because yeah. he's so like he is every person. Okay, sorry. Stop! Stop snoring over there, man. This is like a Christian classic. Like I know when we talk about it like on every other episode. Okay, it is true. You talk a lot. We too do. Much. Okay, <clears throat> we will go on a one episode pause on mentioning the Narnia series. Okay. Next book. <laughs> okay, I just started a new one. I'm not going to give it um, a rating. It's called A Little Book for New Theologians by Kelly Capick. So when I was at Central, I had an advanced pneumatology class, and we had to read a book by Capic on John Owen's spirituality. And it was, uh, it was a long time ago. I refreshed myself on it today, but anyways, he's kind of a scholar 
He does a little bit with Puritans and whatnot, but this is a book. It looked intriguing to me. It's why and how to study theology. So it's kind of like a theological method book, but I'm telling you, like, if you could see this, it's got to be like 116, yeah, it's 116 pages and it's like a little bigger than my phone. So it's not a really big book. And so I'm like, oh, I could blast through that. I really need a book to read and I'm interested in theology. So I'm only a little ways in, but he said something intriguing. He's trying to, in the very beginning, he's trying to say, why should we study theology? And so he says this, he says, Christians must care deeply about theology If the true God is renewing our lives and calling us to worship him in the spirit and truth, then such worship includes our thoughts, words, affections, and actions. Do we want to worship Yahweh or waste time and effort on a deity we have constructed in our own image? So I thought that was really intriguing. This is a longer quote. Go for it. You want to say something? Okay. When you list the thoughts, Mm -hmm. the words... The affections and the actions. Does that remind you of anything? Mind hold. Like that's the stack of books. Oh, it is. Like that's the illustration that's right. that I use with all of the guys. Is that's like right. These five stack of five books. What you do, what you say, what you think, yep. how you feel, and what you want. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if God is really calling me, yes, to worship Him in like all of these, all those aspects, things. That's really good. I really like that. So he goes on to say this. He says, Ludwig Feuerbach, who is a 19th century atheist philosopher, argued that talk about God is no more than amplified talk about ourselves. God is merely a projection of human thoughts and desires, surprising as it may seem. Christians, so what he's saying is, as an atheist, he thinks all you're doing is um, you're talking about yourself. Like God is just an image of you. And so he's saying, well, that's not right. But then if Christians don't understand who God is, the only thing they can do is necessarily insert their own ideas about God. And then what they worship isn't really God and they think they're worshiping God. So the argument is that you could fall into idolatry because you don't think well uh, about God from the Bible. So I thought that was a pretty intriguing. Like he's saying, why should you care about theology? Because if you misunderstand the character of God, you end up worshiping not God and not realizing it. And you're kind of being an idolater. It's kind of intriguing. So I'll let you know. I think about it's short. Yeah. And I think I have a tendency to filter what you guys are reading through the things that I'm reading. So like my interpretation of things is like skewed because I'm interpreting it through the lens of the ideas I'm currently balancing around. But the idea that Lewis brings up in the four loves, it's like, if you confuse the two statements, God is love Yep. With love is God. Here's an attribute of God, love, and God is love. But if you then look at forms of love and make them into God's little G, mm-hmm. how that becomes a massive problem to you spiritually. So I don't know. That's what I was thinking when you're saying that. Well, it's even like taking one characteristic of God, like uh, gentleness or kindness, and then never thinking about his value of truth. You can be kind of you can you can find this God who's very accepting and would never punish. And that's an idol. That's yeah. not the real God. It was. An, I don't know. It's, I'll have to see what it's like. But that was intriguing to think of that a, a reason to value theology is to not fall into idolatry. And I'm sure that people would want those attributes. They would want to. They idolatrize that attribute because it's very personal for them. Mm-hmm. Like I want God to be this way with me, and He is that to me at expense of His other attributes. Mm-hmm. And they they do skew His character along with their own sin. And that's where he brought up that atheist because the atheist says, 
Christianity is just worshiping your own image. Hmm. But then he's saying Christians actually do that. And so the atheist is right sometimes. Interesting. So, know your Bible. We'll What's see. the name of that again? A little book for new theologians. I can't. You're not, you're not ready to throw it on the scale yet. No, I'm. I'm like a fifteenth of the way into okay, we'll, it. We'll have to come back to that one. Yeah, he, he's a professor. Anyways, yeah. So I'm working on an article. Well, I'm. I've been doing some research, which will hopefully become an article. And the topic of the article, I want to kind of just bounce off of you guys. I am studying through the strange woman of uh, Proverbs two five. Uh, six, seven, and nine. Okay. So this is kind of uh, something we're just going to talk about. Um, it's going to be a little different for content. You can pull up in your Bibles if you guys want, but I'd just like to get your kind of your input. And I think it might just be helpful for our listeners to just kind of um, see how sometimes when we would get together as thinklings, we would just bounce ideas off of one another. And this will hopefully become an article that I can put together. It's not just the strange woman that I'm talking about. Actually, what I want to talk about is Lady Wisdom. But um, first, I want to talk about the strange woman and then illustrate what I think Lady Wisdom, who she is. And I think that might help in in interpreting a couple of Old Testament passages. So uh, I remember when I was a young man um, struggling with purity and pure thoughts. Uh, The book of Proverbs was a constant source of um, encouragement, guidance, and direction. In Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 16, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, uh, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So this would be the first reference to this woman, this woman who is described as an immoral woman. The New King James translates it that way. Uh, this, the terms describing this woman, she's, she's called an immoral woman. And uh, other times in Proverbs 2.16 and Proverbs 5.10 and Proverbs 5.20, she's called a foreigner. And when it calls her a foreigner, she is somebody that is ethnically uh, not an Israelite. Uh, That's quite likely the situation. Now, there's a lot of dispute and discussion about that. But if you think through Solomon and all of his many wives and how most of them were ethnically uh, foreigners, in fact, I don't know of the text ever telling us about a Jewish wife that he had. It always focuses on the foreign woman that he had. There may be one there. That might be something I need to talk about or study through. But then you also have a third description of this woman and that she is a, a prostitute or a harlot. In Proverbs 6.26 and 7.10, uh, we have that description of her. Now, what I want to argue is that this is not a real person, okay? This is a type of a person, a type of a bad person. And so it's not necessarily that she is ethnically an Israelite or not an Israelite, Okay, uh, the focus is that she's kind of a composite person that uh, is an example of somebody who's going to lead the young man uh, down a bad path. Okay, so that's my first idea. But then secondly, just like she is this physical composite woman that's going to lead the young man down a bad path, she is Dame Folly. And so she is the uh, embodiment of uh, oh, of of evil, of bad. Okay, 
So I remember, Charlie, you even talking to me about Proverbs chapter 2, and you're saying, oh yeah, this is Dame Folly in Proverbs chapter 2. And I think I was pretty resistant to that idea, because in Proverbs 2, it seems very much like a, a physical woman that's being described. But as I did a comparison between Proverbs 2, Proverbs 5, Proverbs 7, um, in Proverbs 9, and these two women... I, I'm a lot more, much more open to the idea that what you have is is Dame Folly. Okay, so um, this this woman that's contrary to Lady Wisdom, and she is trying to woo the young man uh, down the path of folly. Well, if you're going to think through Dame Folly and who she is, well, what would be a temptation that a young man is going to struggle with? It's going to be purity and morality. And so what would best typify that would be this um, bad girl, all right? The strange woman. How are we? You following me? I'm following you. I'm writing down questions. Yeah, I'm, I'm and, with you. And I also want to just point out, are you, so are you saying Charlie was right and you were wrong? Yes, I am. Charlie, we got that on air. His face, folks. He's just very excited about this. No, I'm following. Here's I'm the couple- thing. It's not that big of a surprise to me because I knew I was right at the time. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, do, I actually do remember us discussing this. And I. And this is how biblical scholarship should work. Because just the same way that Tim, he's like, I was kind of resistant to Charlie's idea. And then I went and studied it out. And now I'm more open to it. When, when we had that discussion, I remember the same thing. Because I was preparing to preach on... A similar text, not the, not in Proverbs, but in Ecclesiastes. And the title of the sermon was How to Find the Perfect Woman. And it was talking about the personification of wisdom, which would be the opposite of folly. And I was looking for support in Proverbs. And Tim really challenged me like, well, okay, you want to use this this passage for, for that idea. You better really make sure it's actually there. And so the same thing that Tim did is what I did. I went back and I was like, okay, let's look at what's really there. And I would even say I became much more open to, well, okay, maybe Proverbs 2 isn't doing what I think it's doing. And But you mentioned it. I'd say Proverbs 9 would be my nail in the coffin. Mm-hmm. But anyway, go ahead and get back into where you wanted to be. So that discussion is actually not my main point. Okay. Amen. That's the foundation for it. What? I just said, amen. <laughs> <laughs> because I actually want to talk about lady wisdom. You know, just a side thought. Can you imagine like the conversations that unsuspecting bookstore people have overheard the last like seven years? <laughs> like me and you discussing things in the bookstore. <laughs> Sometimes those conversations continue after you leave, Charlie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, So where I really want to focus is actually on lady wisdom, because if Dame Folly is personified as this specific kind of a woman, then could lady wisdom then be personified as a different kind of a woman? And then to whom would lady wisdom... Or, um, yeah, to whom could Lady Wisdom be personified? Yeah, and I think, I think you're, you're spot on with what you're trying to articulate. Because that's actually, when, when people, and obviously I don't think any of us would say the admonition to avoid an immoral woman could not be applied in a literal sense. It's like, oh, hey, if you're going to the street corner of the prostitute and you know she's there, what would be wise? Like, don't go there. 
I, I do think that's a correct application, but I do think he's doing more with it. And if you do take those characters in a literal sense, you do run into a hermeneutical issue because he does personify wisdom. But if you're going to be really strong on the fact that the woman folly isn't like a personification, then like who is Lady Wisdom meant to be literally? Right. And I think you run into a problem with that side of the discussion. Well, that's the side of the discussion I want to go to. And most people, when they're like, oh, the adulterous woman is literal, but so then who is Lady Wisdom? Most people then, oh, it's it's Christ. It's like the pillars of wisdom. It's God, which right on cue with all of these preaching Christ in the Old Testament books, we might have some discontinuity with that type of interpretation. And he's got something to say. No, I'm just, well, yeah, but not everyone would take the view you just said, Charlie. But some, I'm, I'm lot, taking it yeah. to its idealistic end. Yeah. I mean, I think some would, would try to identify the person and... Anyways, what I was going to say is you said that this is a composite character, so it's not an actual character. It's like in like a, a composite of things. But I think just for the listener's sake, or actually maybe I'm wrong and you can tell me, it would. it's hard for me to think that Charlie still doesn't mute his phone. Uh, so, oh, sorry about that. Do you know who texted me? Who? Dr. Little. Oh, my word. He's Tim. the culprit. <laughs> you Come know on. Charlie doesn't text, mute his phone. Um, what I was going to say for the listener's sake is, you, and you tell me if I'm wrong, it's hard for me to think of Solomon. Well, do you think Solomon's writing this? Yes. Okay. So it's hard for me to think that Solomon's not using his experience with immoral women and these foreign women. Cause when he says it's a foreigner, but he never was seduced well, by some prostitute. Hold on. I'm not done. Yeah. Let me finish. So I'm, I'm not saying it's an actual person, but he's seen a lot of wickedness. He's experienced a lot of wickedness. I'm not saying the prostitute. Is it possible that part of the composite build is coming from some experience in the world? Yes, I believe okay. it is. Because yeah. I do think like, I think he's saying this is the immoral woman. And why would he say foreigner? I don't think he's trying to be like nationalistic. But what were the foreign nations in the Bible? They were all living a contrary to God. Most of them, like the Canaanites, they were to be judged. The Philistines were wicked. Well, first so, Kings 11 states that the foreign women were what led his heart away from yeah. the Lord. Yeah. So what are they? Who well, are they? They're idolaters. They are they're, idolaters. They're setting up high places. I mean, there's all the, there's all the pagan worship that's okay. connected with that. So when we think of the immoral woman being Proverbs 2, 5, 7, 9, and we, um, Person or idealize her as being this woman that is an adulteress or a prostitute. Was Solomon led astray by them? Or what was he led astray by? Well, okay. How deep do you want me to go on this one? Because I know oh. what I would say. I know my answer to your question from Ecclesiastes, oh, where he don't talks go about to Ecclesiastes yet. Okay, then hold on. Can I ask a question? I think I I'm don't missing know, something. Tim. Well, my point is that yeah, what's your we're point? not, when we view the immoral or the uh, strange woman as simply this prostitute or adulteress, okay, she's a lot bigger than that. Yeah. Okay. Right? She's this unbeliever who's the idolater. And so what does Solomon marry? Yeah, a bunch of unbelievers. A bunch of unbelievers. Okay. These idolaters. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. I'm... So then what are they? Canaanites. They're the Dame Folly. Yeah. He didn't specifically marry like Proverbs 2, Proverbs 5, Proverbs 7. 
He married a whole bunch of them. But he married a bunch of Proverbs 9. Okay. And... And okay, okay, you can push back. You don't have to. No, no, I'm no, no, I'm not pushing this back. This is I'm why I want to understand. have a discussion about this. Hey, listener, this is literally, this is literally what we do when we get together, and this is what you should do with your friends. So I know what I would, I know what I would say, based from Ecclesiastes. I don't, don't know what you're Ecclesiastes. Leading. I wanted to go to Lady Wisdom first. If you want to understand Ecclesiastes, you need to understand Lady Wisdom. Yeah. So then, who is the personification of Lady Wisdom? And don't say Jesus. His first wife. The godly wife. Yes. Now, if you think through the book of Proverbs, who is the godly wife? The one who fears the Lord. Yeah. I see what you're doing. Proverbs it's the 31. believer and the unbeliever. Yeah. It's the one who has the wisdom, the one who has folly. Correct. Oh, what do you okay. have in Proverbs chapter one? Okay. Lady wisdom's crying out in the street corners. Okay. Which seems to be bigger than just one's wife. Okay. But she's the ideal wife. Of Proverbs 31. Now, when you go to Proverbs chapter 7, now you can go to Proverbs chapter 7. Okay, and I think I've modified my view of Proverbs chapter 7 as a result of this study, and you can tell me I'm wrong, Charlie, or you can maybe just think about it and see. But I've taught it a couple of times, and so if I've changed my view, then, you know. Are you talking about verse 4? No. So in Proverbs seven twenty-five, I applied my heart to know. To search and seek out. Did I say Proverbs? You mean Ecclesiastes. Oh, my bad. Ecclesiastes. I was like, what are you talking about? 725 says, let not your heart But yeah, no, Ecclesiastes, yep. Yeah. Ecclesiastes 725, I applied my heart to know, to search and seek out wisdom, the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness, and to find more bitter than death. So he's found something. And what does he find? The woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Okay, so what what does he find? He finds not Lady Wisdom, but he finds Dame Folly. In fact, how many Dame Follies did he find? A thousand of them. Okay, so then what do we get in Ecclesiastes 7, 28? Which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. And he had a thousand wives, and guess what he didn't find among them? The one who fears the Lord. The one who fears the Lord. You got it. Okay. Now, I, I now why? Why doesn't he find them? I why would agree he? with you that I, I actually, I think that your thousands, like the, what you're going for is like the thousand there is correlating to his thousand wives, wives. and concubines. Uh, I, I would just add to it that I think the reason why he struggled to find the right one is because of his depravity. What do you have in the next verse? That God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes. Exactly. So what is he doing? He's looking for, okay, he's scheming, Mm -hmm. all right? And connect, what's so unique about that is how it does correlate to the first six chapters of Ecclesiastes, where all he's searching for is what he doesn't have, which you think about the theme question, verse three. What profit has a man in okay. all his labor? You're going out in the right no, no, field. No. Hear me out here. Hear me I'm out running here. out of time. All he's doing, all he's doing with all of his life, all he's doing with all of his life is searching for the thing he doesn't have, thinking right. that the next thing is right. going to satisfy. That's the scheme. And he did the same thing with the women. Yes. He, he got to 20 and he's like, mm, need one more. Got to 500 and was like, I need another. Mm-hmm. In fact, he needed 500 more. 
And I bet when he got to a thousand, he still wanted more. And then he learned contentment. And the reason why he was driven that way was because Lady Folly was his own nature. That's where we are sinful and he can't escape that. So in Song of Songs, chapter eight and verse 11, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. Okay. The vineyard is a metaphor for his harem. Baal Hamon means the master of many. He was the master of many. He had the best brides. He had the youngest, you know, they got old, but he would just marry a young one again. And, um, his vineyard was the best. It states in Song 811, he leased the vineyard to keepers. Everyone was to bring for its fruit, a thousand silvers. His vineyard, his harem was very expensive. It was luxurious. If you look at Esther 2, Ahasuerus has these ladies go through like a year to two year beauty routine before they spend any time with him. Okay, Solomon would have done something similar. In fact, he estimated his woman a certain way, and that was uh, based upon their physical appearance and their bodies, so on and so forth. Okay, but in Song 812, and notice, by the way, in Song 811, the the price of these ladies is a thousand silvers, okay? Song 812, this woman of the Song of Songs says, my own vineyard, which is mine, is before me. She makes a distinction between Solomon's vineyard and her own vineyard, her body, which in Song 1, 5, and 6, the vineyard is her body. See, Solomon didn't get her. The very woman, Lady Wisdom, the wife, the virtuous wife, the godly woman, the Song of Songs female lover that he was looking for, he was looking for, but he never found her. And why is that? Why is that, Charlie? You already said it. He was a sinner. (laughs) <laughs> he was discontent. Oh, okay. I went with the Sunday school answer on that one. But yeah, he was, he was discontent. That's all. I'll take that. He was dis, he was discontent for 1000. Yes. So in eight song, eight, 12 <laughs> song, eight, 12, what does it say? You O Solomon may have a thousand and those who tend its fruit 200. Okay. So here comes a thousand again in song, eight, 12, you Solomon, a thousand. All right. And those who tend its fruit 200, you know, what's up with attending? What's up with the caring? Well, the tending of the vineyard was found in Song 215. And whose responsibility is it to tend the vineyard? The male lovers. That's Jesus. No, that's the husband. Yikes. Horrendous. Horrendous. And this is how Lady Wisdom is found. Like Christ loves the church. Through tending the vineyard and not hiring out the tending of the vineyard to others, but by tending his own vineyard, by taking care of his own wife, what do you end up realizing? You realize the sin that's within your own heart. And by having to deal with, with the problems in the relationship, instead of Solomon, like, oh, there's something wrong with her. Why don't you go get me a different one? Hmm. Okay. No, you've actually got to deal yep. with the problems within the relationship. Hmm. You're going to have to deal with the sin in your own heart. And then guess what you're going to find? Guess what you're going to discover? You're going to discover Lady Wisdom. Hmm. And okay, so just to, to clarify, so you you are taking Lady Wisdom 
as a personification of the wife. So it is kind of not literal, but it is literal. Well, there's no wife that's going to be perfect. Okay. Yeah. So there is like so, the ideal, that's which the is ideal. Lady Wisdom, which right. is meant to symbolize the woman that Solomon wanted, but could never find because he wasn't content. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think that's good. That's interesting. I have an older, wiser uh, Christian I know, and he has said to me before that he was very glad. He's been married for years, and he's, he said he's very glad he's been married to the same woman. He's never like gotten divorced because he's known friends who, in the midpoint of their life, did they pulled a Solomon, and they're like, yeah, I'm done with this. Get divorced, get married, and then they they don't have the money to have a thousand, okay? But they realize, it's like they learn later, oh man, the same things are happening. And that's when it dawns on them that I've got problems I need to deal with. It's a very much like, and he's just saying, I'm really glad the Lord gave me grace and he worked through his problems. Cause, but he did recognize what you're saying, sin in his own heart. So if you compare the, um, the strange woman, the foreign woman of Proverbs 7 and the godly woman of Song of Songs chapter 3, you see several correspondences, and these have been noted by scholars. And I think this substantiates the point uh, that Solomon is establishing. Sure, there's Lady Folly, there's this foreign woman, but guess what? There's this other woman, this Lady Wisdom, and who is she? Well, she's your wife. You're like, my wife ain't looking a whole lot like Lady Wisdom. <laughs> really? Well, what's the problem there? Well, I want to look in the mirror. The problem might be you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.